with a challenging command from Scripture. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Speak evil of no one. The word is blasphemo in the Greek language. You don't have to explain what that means. Malign, no one. It means to treat everyone as an equal. To show no contempt, condemnation, criticism, nagging, fits of temper, zeal in our heart to clean up certain people. We become odious. We've turned them off. They don't want to hear anything from us because we appear to be self-righteous. The proverb that says, there's no point giving a man a rose to smell after you've cut off his nose, is meant to convey we're to be careful how we speak. If we want someone to appreciate the fragrance of the words of Jesus, they'll need their nose. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace. Today's teaching from Pastor Ed Ray is based in Titus chapter 3 and will highlight seven virtues that will transform our witness to the world, who, by the way, desperately needs to experience the fragrance of Christ. Pastor Ed gets us started by reading this very important scripture. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Pastor, he said while driving in Pennsylvania, he pulled up behind it with his family in Amish, carriage, of course, you know, they don't use motorized vehicles. And the owner of the carriage obviously had a great sense of humor because he had hand-lettered a little sign on the back of the carriage, and it said, quote, energy efficient vehicle, runs on oats and grass. Caution, do not step in exhaust. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying to Titus, don't step in the exhaust of life. Now, the recipient of this letter, Titus, young man, had a really tough assignment. He was working in a beautiful place, but the people were difficult to get along with. He was on the Mediterranean island of Crete. Now, imagine him after a tough Sunday, Monday morning, he's sitting around feeling sorry for himself. The mountain of responsibility in front of him, the Apostle Paul has laid on him to stay there and get all the churches working together. He's getting ready to quit because that's what pastors do every Monday morning. And then all of a sudden, a courier comes and there's a letter. And the letter is from, this letter is from the Apostle Paul. And Paul is in prison 
and he writes encouraging letters when he's in duress, when he is in a storm of life. And he writes a very encouraging letter to this young man. He says, you are my son in the faith. And that had to be encouraging for the Apostle Paul to say that. And then in the fifth verse, the Apostle Paul reminds Titus why he had left him there on the island of Crete. He said two reasons. Number one, first of all, that he should set in order the things that were lacking in the churches. There were a lot of small churches there. And they had come from Pentecost in Jerusalem several years earlier. But they were fighting among themselves, and there was no order. There was an established fellowship, and, and they were like denominations in the United States fighting over trivial things. The second thing, he said, your job is to appoint pastors and elders in every city because these churches, some of them, didn't even have a leader, and so people would stand up and argue in the middle of the service. So this young man has uh, a task in front of him to get one of the most contentious, at least by reputation, people in the world at that time to work together. He's on the island uh, that's beautiful. Today, if you visit, and we were just there with a group from the church, there's churches everywhere, a lot of small churches. Here's one overlooking the sea. This is actually one of the oldest civilizations known in the Mediterranean area. This is a Minoan palace. The Romans came, and then, of course, the gospel came. Here's a church, and the little cave used to be a church behind it. And again, they're all small churches, and this one is from the second century, they believe. So many churches from the time within 150 years of what we're reading about. It's a beautiful setting, great place to visit, old. There's an olive tree. That's an olive tree that's huge. They believe it's about 2400, 2500 BC it was planted. So we're praying for our olive tree out in front. It's got a long way to go, uh, but someday. So this is a place that's filled with people who are pursuing wealth and passion and power and not very much unlike our own culture today as we tend to be drifting more towards paganism, hedonism, away from a Christian base. So they were arguing about things, and Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him to tell them that they're to be salt and light. still true today. That's what you and I have been called to be in this culture, that you and I are to be salt and light to people that don't know God. And in this verse, this set of five verses, it's a powerful message. He says, here's who you are, verse 1 and 2. This is the testimony, the witness, what you're supposed to be showing to the world in the first century and again in the 21st century with us. And then here's who you used to be, verse 3. And often we forget that. God starts doing this work in us and we start feeling we're pretty, you know, spiritual now and holy and God's lucky to have us. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Remember from where you came. And then the last two verses, how you came, how God saved you, how God did the work, and you and I just received it. So that's where we're going. It's a great section. First of all, who you are in verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey to be ready for every good work. So there are seven, you might call them virtues, seven things that you're supposed to display in the first century on the island of Crete. 
21st century on the island of the Inland Empire that you and I are supposed to show others. So remind them, put them in mind, it literally says about these certain things, what they have already in Jesus, what God has given us to do. God changes us to be able to do these things. Be subject to rulers and authorities. So the first virtue he speaks about is this idea of being submissive to the authorities of the government. Doesn't sound very spiritual. It is. People are watching your life, and they're looking to see if you're consistent with what you say. They're watching my life. Rulers were different than authorities. These were mostly kings. In Greece, the word probably referred to the principal leaders of the Greek cities that then became from city-states to a, you know, a larger government. But in Crete, they were cosmoi, it's called, the community leaders, something like a committee in the pre-wall coming down in Europe in the Soviet era. They had these committees, but they were to, in fact, Submit to these rulers. And authorities, the word is exusa, those who are in power. Be subject to them. Respect human authority. It's part of our daily testimony to be in subjection. We don't like that. We're Americans. I mean, that's how we got this country. We rebelled against a king, right? And overthrew the British. We have to watch that because sometimes that becomes our default position. It's where we go when somebody says submit. There's a much maligned word today. Paul says, do it. It's good and profitable for the waiting, watching world, verse 8 says. So, we are to submit to authority. One of the cops in our church said he pulled over a woman and gave her a speeding ticket. Here's your speeding ticket, ma'am. And she said, quote, and just what do you do when you catch a real criminal? He thought a moment and said, well, I don't know. All I ever catch are the innocent ones. <laughs> Submit, really. Okay. First one. Second one's not any easier. Obey. It's an action word, not a, so much an attitude. It's you have to do something when you obey. It's a mindset, but it works its way out in some actions. I'm going to go a little quickly because those two are easy to grasp. The third one is be ready to do every good work. Do good things for other people. It's our responsibility to do that around people, not to show off, not to grandstand, but naturally do things supernatural. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one. Now, I've read this, I've taught this over and over again, and I confess to you, I didn't really see this phrase before. And this week, I looked at it and I said, I can't do that. To not speak evil of anyone? I mean, anyone? Think of the ways you can justify that, saying bad things about, you know, politicians are an easy shot, etc. So pray for me. I'm not here yet on this one. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. He's highlighting from Titus chapter 3, several challenging virtues the Christian is to display in his witness. Now with our fifth of seven virtues from verse 2, here's Pastor Ed. Peaceable. Being peaceable. A machos. Really, that's what it is in the Greek language. A, the letter A in front of the Greek word means none. 
macho, no macho, no fighting, avoid quarreling. Oh, gee, how you doing with this one? Don't be contentious and hostile and angry about what you see. Be at peace as much as you are able with all men, Paul said. Every person. I love the serenity prayer that some of you have been around AA repeat. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote it. He's a pastor and a theologian. But you only hear the first part of it. The rest of it is really, really good. You know the first part. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I want it to be, trusting that he, God, will make all things right. If I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. <laughs> wow. Amen. Niebuhr was uh, attracting men to him in his day that you and I know. Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi were both disciples of this man. He was talking about having a peaceable life. This verse was the basis for his serenity prayer. The next word is just as powerful. It's the word gentle. It's a beautiful word in the Greek language, epiikos. Epiikos means sweet reasonableness, another translation says. Considerate of human weaknesses in other people. Patient with sinners. Not cantankerous, not argumentative, not angry, not hostile. Hostile, sweetly reasonable, graciously kind and mild. <laughs> Avoid confrontations. Be gentle. Love the true story of Abraham Lincoln when he was still an attorney before he became president. He had a man come to him and ask him to take a suit against another man who owed him money. And, of course, this is 1850s. The man had loaned another man $2.50, which was a lot of money in that day. But the man that he wanted to sue was poor. Lincoln was asking him questions, and he, and he tried to dissuade the man. And the man could not be dissuaded. He said, no, I'm going to sue this man. If you won't take the case, I'll take it to someone else. So Lincoln thought about it a moment, prayed about it, and said, okay, I'll take the case. But it'll cost you $10. Because he said, well, sure. You think I can win? Lincoln said, oh yeah, you'll win, no question about it. So the guy gives him 10 bucks. So Lincoln goes to the guy that owes him the money, gives him $5, and tells him, just admit to the man, you were wrong, you owe the money, give him half of the money I just gave you and you'll walk away with $2.50. Guy said, really? He said, yeah, he'll take it. So he went to the guy, apologized, gave him the $2.50 and pocketed $2.50 and went away. Now, what's strange about the story is that the man who started the suit was happy with that, even after Lincoln told him, because, you know, honest Abe, that whole thing. He said, no, no, that's fine. It cost me $10 to find out that I was right. <laughs> 
He's bad at math, but he is willing to pay a high cost to be found right. Sweet reasonableness, that's what gentle means. Alexander McLaren said, kindness makes a person attractive. If you would win the world, don't hammer it, melt it. Be humble. Next one, showing all humility to all men. Every consideration, another translation says. It it actually is the word translated meekness in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Well, the word pralatis in the Greek language, it means meek, not weak. It means power under control. In fact, it was used to describe a stallion that had been trained, a horse that was powerful, but was meek because he would obey everything the rider asked him to do. It was power under control. So, gentlemen, when you think meek sounds wimpy, it's just the opposite. It means that you're confident enough in who you are, you don't have to argue. You see, a really confident person doesn't have to win the argument, doesn't have to lose $10 to prove that he's right. Duh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Meekness in daily practice. Humility is hard to find in this world. It's hard to find great examples. My favorite example is of the American educator, African-American educator, Booker T. Washington. Dr. Washington was appointed president of the Tuscany Institute in Alabama. And he told a story that I think is a perfect picture of humility. He was uh, walking through a very wealthy part of town and a wealthy white woman approached him and asked if he would like to make some money. Not knowing who he was, she said, I I need someone to chop some wood for me and I'll pay you uh, for it. And he's so humble, he said, you know what, that would be fine, I'll do that, where is it? So he chopped wood for a while, took it in the house and laid it down next to the fireplace and the woman paid him and he folded the money and put it in his wallet and, and walked out. But the woman's daughter recognized him. She said, Mom, you didn't hire Dr. Washington to cut wood, did you? She said, who? He's the new president of the university right down the street. She was so embarrassed, she went the next morning to his office and apologized profusely. But he, gracious, humble as he was, said to her, oh, it's perfectly all right, ma'am. Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual exercise. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. And he made a friend of the woman. And she asked about the work that was going on, and she convinced some of her friends, and they became the main financial source for scholarships to Tuscany University. That's a humble man, a godly man, but also moved others towards Jesus. That's who you are, now who you were. It gets a little more insulting here, verse 3. For we ourselves, all of us, Paul includes himself, Titus too, and you, and that person sitting next to you, for we ourselves were also once, fill in the blank, foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Why is he doing this? Because Christians turn into Pharisees if they don't remember where they came from particularly after you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you start getting a little cocky about how awesome you are (laughs) because the Holy Spirit has changed you from the inside out and you're doing things you're supposed to and you go, ah, look at me. 
No, no, look at Jesus. You were once these things. Number one, foolish. It doesn't mean without intelligence. It means without understanding. Because we thought we could live without God and be happy. Because we thought that we could sin without paying a price. Because we thought that things would satisfy. So we were all foolish and enemies of God. Secondly, we were disobedient towards most authority, but certainly towards the authority of God. We didn't even want to wreck you. I'll speak for myself, not you, because I'm sure you were all compliant people. God said, you shall not lie, and we did. He said, thou shalt not covet, and we have. I want to ask you how you're doing on that one this week. God said, thou shalt not take my name in vain. And every time, years later, after I hit my finger with the hammer, amazing things go across my mind. <laughs> I can't believe that's still in there. Transgression. It's not sin, just sin. Sin means you tried to hit the mark and you missed. But this is transgression willful disobedience. I knew these things, you knew these things, and you were still disobedient. Thirdly, deceived. The Greek word plano, or planeno, is the, where we get our word planet from, because the Greeks thought that the planets were random. They wandered in their path across the sky, because, you know, the different seasons of the year displayed different positions for the various planets. So, to be a planet was to wander, to be led astray, to be deceiving ourselves. We are bent in our mind, in our will, in our actions. The major thing we said we wanted was freedom. We want to be free to do anything we wanted. <laughs> but in fact, it's self-deception. Ephesians 4, 17, this I say therefore and testify of the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the pagans do in the futility of their mind. Their minds are futile. 2 Timothy 2.13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived themselves. We're self-deceived when we're walking in our own wisdom. You know, others have prejudices, but we have convictions. <laughs> others, of course, are conceited, but we have great self-respect. When you spend time on your personal appearance, it's vanity. But when I spend time on mine, it's enhancing my God-given assets. <laughs> Too close to home, wasn't it? <laughs> in you, it's touchiness, but in me, it's sensitivity. I'm a sensitive guy. In you, it's worry, but in me, it's concern. I really am concerned, really. Self-deception is a dangerous place to live for long periods of time. Pastor Ed Ray wrapping up our time today on Growing Grace with a word of caution on the danger of self-deception. The only safeguard is the mirror of the Word of God. We commend you for your attention to it and invite you to join us again to not only guard against deception, but to grow in grace. Did you miss a portion of the message, or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org. 
or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace as you study along with us. And if that's happening in your life, please do write us. It would mean a lot to hear if these daily studies have an impact on your life. And if you have a question related to our study or a prayer request, by all means, send those our way. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Again, packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace as we continue through the Bible with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.